Welcome. The subject of this talk is the testimony of the Quran to the Bible. Islam is unique in being the only major world religion to establish itself after Christianity. And in doing so, it was able to assess what came before it, and particularly the Christian scriptures, the Old and New Testaments. And it won't surprise you to find that the Quran spends a tremendous amount of time and attention referring to these texts and gives its impression of them. And that's what we're going to have a look at in this talk. Firstly, the Jews and the Christians are honored officially in the Quran as people of the book. This is an expression which in Arabic reads, Akhlul Kitab. Kitab means more than book in the Quran, it means scripture. That's the expression we would use for it, holy writ, holy writing, whatever. So the Quran refers to us not as pagan idolaters or anything like that or as atheists, but actually as people who are honored because they are the people of a scripture. And what the Quran does is to recognize two scriptures, basically, the Torah and the Injil. The Torah is Arabic for Torah or law, and Injil is Arabic basically from a, a Greek word evangel, meaning the gospel, so the Injil is the name given to the Christian scripture, the gospel. Uh, the Quran also adds the Zabur, uh, and that is the book of David, what we would call the Psalms of David. And of course, its own title for itself, the Quran, which is a recitation. And so what Muslims see and what the Quran teaches is that, that there were four major scriptures, the Torah, the Zabur, the Injil, and the Quran. But right from the outset, it's very different to our understanding of Scripture. We look at the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New, and that is what we believe is the Holy Bible, the Word of God. But every one of these books is written by man. As a human author, basically inspired by the Holy Spirit, as the Bible teaches, and we have no problem with that as Christians, nor did the Jews. That is a form of Scripture. That was how it was done in all the centuries from the time of Moses right down to the time of the apostles of Jesus. But the Quran sees it differently. It sees the Torah as a book given to Moses. The Zabur was a scripture, a book given to uh, David. And then, of course, the Injil, the gospel given to Jesus, a book. That's how it sees it. Uh, that the Quran itself is the last book which comes to Muhammad. Muhammad's impression was that as he saw the scripture come to him, final revelation, so to the previous prophets had come books as well, and that's his concept. But on the other hand, the Quran, without identifying these books to, to with any sort of care or precision, regards these previous texts very, very highly, and always with great reverence. The anomaly here is that the only scriptures ever known to the Jewish and Christian faiths are the books of the Old and New Testaments as we know them. We can't find a trace anywhere in history of a book given to Moses. Sure, the law was given. In that form, the Torah was given by God to Moses, but recorded in a book, for example, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books that followed. We don't find anywhere in the New Testament, not even a hint that a book was ever given to Jesus. Rather, what we find is that Jesus himself is the word who came from God, as in prologue of John's Gospel, the first chapter. And by the time of Muhammad himself, the Jews 
and Christians of the world only knew these two scriptures, Old and New Testaments. They'd never known any other. And the Quran must, in referring to the scripture of the Jews and Christians, particularly ourselves, the people of the book, must be referring to the Old and New Testaments. It can't really be referring to anything else. Muslims have often said to me over the years, no, 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 we're not looking at your two books at all because those are written by man. We can't accept that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John is God's word because it's the word of Matthew, it's the word of Mark. How can we ever accept that when Paul writes a letter to his friend Philemon telling him how to treat his runaway slave Anissimus, fairly short letter, that this somehow slips in and becomes part of God's word? I said, no, 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 this is not what the Quran is referring to. Uh, the Quran is referring to a wonderful scripture like the Quran that was given to Jesus, an Injil. And I've had many Muslims say to me, where is that original Injil? You bring me that Injil, then I'm prepared to listen to you. And I've always retorted by saying, well, uh, no, excuse me, my friend, I've said, you bring me the angel. I said, I've never heard of a book like this. As far as we know, there never was a book given to Jesus. Our books come from the time of Jesus. They are contemporary records of his life. Matthew, Mark and Luke, those Gospels are widely accepted as having been written when many of the first-hand disciples of Jesus, like Peter, Matthew and others, were still alive. AD 68, AD 70, around there, John's Gospel written by the apostle himself, the youngest of Jesus' disciples. I've said, you bring us an angel. In fact, I even had a Muslim once say, no, I've seen the original angel. I've actually seen it. I said, really? I said, well, where did you see it? Oh, I saw it somewhere. He said, I said, how do you know it was the original angel? He said, no, it was in Arabic. <laughs> I said, did you read it? He said, no, and I guessed it could only have been a New Testament in Arabic that he had read translated into it. But let's have a look at what the Quranic attitude to the Christian and Jewish scriptures are. Is it in fact testifying to our scriptures, the Old and New Testaments as valid? If so, that has serious implications for Muslims. Well, let's have a look. We'll begin with Surah 5 verse 47, where the Quran says to Muhammad, how will they make you their judge? Seeing they have the Torah, that is the, uh, the Jews, they have the Torah, wherein is God's judgment and thereafter they turn their backs. Now this is interesting because in Surah 5.44 the people addressed are clearly named as the Yahudu, the Jews. And the Quran says they have, that's the very Jews of Muhammad's time. It's clear because they're talking about Muhammad in conversation with them. They have the Torah. The actual expression used in this verse in Arabic is indahum, with them. In other words, right in their possession. There can only be one conclusion here, that the scripture Muhammad is referring to was in the possession of the Jews at the time of Muhammad. It was there with them. Especially as it says, how can they make you their judge? Why should they come to you to ask you to judge the divisions and their disputes among themselves? They have their own scripture. Why don't they refer to that? Let them go and make their own decisions according to their own book. Obviously, the Quran is referring to the Jews around Medina or Yathrib as it was known at the time. And it is quite clear that it is, as I said, consultations between Jews and Muhammad that are being referred to. Muhammad says, you've got your book. You've got the Torah, At-Torat. Go and make your decisions by your own book. You have it with you in Dachum. Well, that time the Jews, and right through the history of Israel before that, only knew one Torah or one book. And that is the Old Testament scriptures as they are today. And interestingly, the Quran nowhere suggests that the book of the Jews was something different to what they had. 
or what they have to this day. When it comes to the New Testament, you find much the same thing. The Quran says in just a few verses later, Surah 5 verse 50, Let the people of the gospel judge by what Allah hath revealed therein. Now, the Quran admits again that the book of the Christians is in their possession. How, how could the Christians judge? Also told, judge by your book. How could they judge by it if they didn't have it in their possession? And yet, we are called the Akhlulinjil in the Quran, the people of the scripture, the people of the gospel, the people of the book that was actually given to Jesus. Well, at that time, they must have had the Injil to be able to judge by it, whatever the Quran is referring to. But once again, and we know this without any doubt, that throughout Christian history, only one scripture has been known to the Christian church, and that is the books of the New Testament, the 27 books. That is the kitab, that is the scripture that we have. And at the time of Muhammad, there can be no doubt about this. It's, the history here is far too recent for any other different kind of speculation. Because right back to the time of Jerome, when the uh, Old Testament was translated into Latin, and so the New from the Greek New Testament, and right back to the time of Septuagint, even 200 years before Jesus, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek from Hebrew in Alexandria, and when you go back to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which have books of the Old Testament, there they are, 2,000 years old from the Qumran area. We know that only books known to the Jews and the Christians are the Old and New Testaments as we have them today. Certainly by the time of Muhammad, there could be no doubt of that. We have to this day up to 4,000 manuscripts, sometimes just a single page, sometimes a whole book of the New Testament dating back to 200 years before the time of Muhammad, but we do not have one text that could be said to be part of an Injil, a scripture that actually came to Jesus himself. Now, John of Wales, a well-known writer in the 16th century, called the Quadruplex Reprobatio, referring to Surah 549, where the gospel, the Injil, the scripture of Jesus, is called a Hudan and a Nurun, which means a guidance and a light, says, well, if it was corrupt, if it had been changed, if it was something different, how could it be a guidance? How could it be a light? The Quran refers to the Christian scripture of Muhammad's day as a clear guidance and a clear light. Now we have another verse here which is, pertains to the same subject, Surah 5, verse 71, where Muhammad, again now addressing both Jews and Christians, the Quran says, O people of the book, kitab, you have no ground to stand on unless you stand fast by the Torah and the Injil, by the law and the gospel, and all the revelation that has come to you from your Lord. Well, here it's quite obvious that the Quran is unwittingly testifying to the Old and New Testaments as divine scripture. The Quran never undermines the books of the Jews and the Christians and never suggests that they've been totally changed, that a book given to Moses or a book given to Jesus has been changed into a different kind of scripture. In fact, in Surah 7, 157, the Quran says, You are the unlettered prophet whom they will find prophesied in the Torah and the Injil which came before them and which they have with them. So, Muhammad is here referred to as a prophet that 
whose coming can actually be found in the scripture, the Jews and Christians. And because the reason is they have them with them, again, in Dachum. Um, and it was not long after Muhammad's death that Muslim scholars started searching the Christian and Jewish scriptures for those prophecies. They didn't go looking for an Injil or a, a Torah book given to uh, Moses or Jesus. They went straight to the Old and New Testaments. And to this day, they're at pains to try and find texts in those books, particularly Deuteronomy 18 and passages from John 14 to 16, which they claim uh, predict the coming of Muhammad. So the interesting thing here is that the Quran is constantly commending the Jewish scripture, constantly commending the Christian scripture, referring always to the fact that they're in the possession of the Jews and Christians of Muhammad's time without identifying them further can only be the Old and New Testaments as we know it. Now in Surah 244, it says of the Jews that they study the scripture, the Kitab. In Surah 2 verses 91, the Quran says, we are confirming what is with them. So it actually says the scripture they have now is being confirmed by us. And then again in Surah 10 verse 94, the Quran says to Muhammad, if you were in any doubt as to what we have revealed to you, then ask those who've been reading the book before you. Well, that's a strange statement if there was any corruption in the text or if they were different to what was originally revealed. Why would Muhammad, if he had any uncertainty to be told, go to the Jews, go to the Christians because they've been reading the scripture before you? Time and again, you have the impression that the Quran, without necessarily knowing what it's referring to, honors the Jewish and uh, Christian scriptures as the true word of God and is uncorrupted. Why otherwise would the Quran refer Muhammad to, to the Jews and the Christians to find confirmation of what he believed is coming to him? The question is, why such confusion? Uh, why does the Quran freely acknowledge these scriptures and yet tell us that they were two different books to what we have? There can only be one explanation. Muhammad didn't know the difference. He was under the impression that the book given to Moses that he writes of and the book given to Jesus was similar to what he believed was coming to him. He couldn't read Hebrew. He couldn't read Greek. So if he even saw a Christian text or a Jewish text, he wouldn't have known what it was. It might well have been the Gospel of Matthew that he looked at. It might have been the book of Isaiah. But to him, he had this fixation in his mind that the Quran was coming to him as a book from heaven. Therefore, the scripture to the Jews and the Christians must have been the same. Book to Jesus and a book to Moses. But then Muslims would turn around and say, no, wait a minute. There are passages in the Quran that accuse the Jews and the Christians of corrupting their scriptures. And I've come across this often in Muslim writings and in, Muslim, in conversation with Muslims. And I'm going to go through some of these texts which appear at face value to Muslims to allege corruption of our texts. Before I do, let me say to you that the early Muslims, the scholars that... Uh, treated our books in the earlier days, right down to the 10th century after Jesus, in other words, three centuries after Muhammad, uh, had no difficulty with the Jewish and Christian scriptures. They just picked up our Bible and started looking for the things they wanted or decided to, once they could read our scriptures, to, to, to learn what they could from them. Um, the Tafrif teaching that is in the Quran, corruption, to them did not apply to the scriptures themselves. They said it was only what they called Takhrifi Manawi, merely that the Jews and the Christians were misinterpreting what was in their scriptures, not that they were corrupting them. But by the time 
of a well-known Muslim scholar about 300 years after Muhammad ibn Hazm. He came out with a new concept, and he was, as far as I know, one of the first to allege that the scriptures themselves had been corrupted. The text itself had been changed. And they call this in Islam, taqrifi lafsi, the corruption of the text. But let me say this, it took 300 years for a Muslim to ever allege that. And I can only tell you that the reason why it was done was because once these scholars were able to, these who followed Muhammad many years later and who could read Greek and other languages, in which the scriptures were translated. Once they read them, they realized that there was just no way that you could synchronize the Old and New Testaments with the Quran. Uh, New Testament particularly, which taught plainly that Jesus is the Son of God, plainly taught in its Gospels that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, called God his Father. They found references, historic and uh, others, to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So for them, the problem was that there was just no correlation between the books. How could the Quran be confirming books that contradict it? I remember many years ago talking to a young Muslim woman who asked me quite casually, she said, um, tell me, um, has your Bible ever been changed? And I said, no, not at all. And she said, but doesn't your Bible teach that Jesus is the Son of God and then he was crucified? And I said, yes. And in a matter of fact way, she just looked at me and she said, well, then it must have been changed. <laughs> I said to myself, that's the whole point. This attitude of Islam and the Muslim world towards the Bible that has been corrupted does not come from a study of the scriptures. It comes because the Muslims became aware in later centuries that the Jewish and Christian scriptures teach very different things to what the Quran presumes they do. It doesn't teach Islam at all. It teaches the Christian gospel. Well, let's go to those passages in the Quran that Muslims say actually prove that the Christian Bible has been corrupted. The first one is in Surah 4, verse 46. Uh, of the Jews, there are those who displace words from their right places. And they say, we hear and we disobey. And hear what is not heard. And ra'ina, with a twist of their tongues and a slander to faith. Well, if you can make much headway of that, or much interpretation of that that makes any sense to you, well and good. Uh, but what it is basically saying is this that there are Jews who take words out of the correct place where they are and then they change them. Uh, according to other records, what the Jews were doing was that they were just playing on words. They would hear Muhammad speak and they would nod their heads and in Hebrew they would say, we hear and we obey. That was the, the Hebrew way of responding to somebody speaking the truth. But they would subtly change the word to we hear and disobey and perhaps Muhammad would think they were agreeing with him and would carry on talking to them as if they were. And then they'd go out and behind their back, they'd laugh at him and they said he didn't understand what we were saying. They were not believing him for a minute. And also hear what is not heard and expressions like these and ra'ina. The Quran doesn't even try to explain what was happening. There's no definition here at all what exactly was going on. But it's quite clear that this is not scripture that's being referred to. There are some, the Quran says, among the Jews, and that can only mean the Jews of Medina around Muhammad, who are displacing words from their places, and in Muhammad, in conversation with you, they're saying something different. They're trying to catch you out. They're trying to be clever because you don't know their language. That is as far from a corruption of Scripture as you could possibly get. The word ra'ina basically means to please help us, but they had twisted it into an insult of Muhammad. 
And he discovered that later, that he was actually being made a fool of by the Jewish people who were saying things to him that he thought meant one thing, whereas in truth they meant another. So the charge against the Jewish people here is not of corrupting their scripture. There's no mention of scripture in this text, only that with their tongues that they subtly, deceitfully change the meaning of a word and make it different to what it really says or what he thinks they're saying. Interestingly, that charge of changing words from their places appears again in Surah 5.14 and Surah 5.44. But let me say to you once again, it is only the Jews who are accused of doing this and only Jews whom Muhammad was coming into contact with who, were, who are referred to. It was never a charge against the Christians. Second text is Surah 3, verse 71. You people of the book, why do you clothe truth with falsehood and conceal the truth while you have knowledge? Now, in this case, you find only a general claim of suppressing truth, nothing more than that. But how could you suppress it unless you had it? It must be a reference to a truth, in other words, scripture that they had, and now they're accused of concealing it when they know differently. That's all the Quran says. Again, it's a vague text, gives no detail, doesn't say what's being referred to, just says you close the truth with falsehood and you conceal the truth when you know better. Well, you can only do that if you've got it in your possession. And whatever the Quran is referring to, it nonetheless is acknowledging yet again that the truth is in their hands and that the suppression of it is just something they were doing in hiding and covering it up. The next verse is Surah 2, verse 75. Can you entertain the hope that they will believe in you? Seeing that a party of them heard the word of God and perverted it knowingly after they understood it. Oh, now this looks like we're getting a bit closer. Muslim, I say, well, there you are. This time the kitab is being referred to, the word of God. And the party of them heard it and then they perverted it knowingly. And the Muslim can say, well, you see, now there's a text that says that you people have a scripture, and what do you do? You go and corrupt it. Looks good. But if you look at this text a little bit more closely, you can see that's not what the Quran is saying at all. Once again, all these texts that I'm referring to are vague. They don't give any detail or definition of what they're referring to. doesn't say which part of the word of God was corrupted. doesn't say how they perverted it. It's just a vague statement that something that was true to Scripture gets changed. Uh, but it's clearly said that it is a party of them who heard the word of God that you spoke. In other words, once again, Jews who were around Muhammad, they were in his area at the time. And they pervert not the Scripture. It's not their Scripture they're perverting. They're perverting his message. That's what the Quran is saying. They heard the Kitabullah meaning to Muhammad, the Qur'an itself, this book. They heard you speak this book to them. And having heard it, they went behind your back and they perverted what they had heard. In other words, they haven't taken a pen or whatever and changed the scripture. They're not a slightest suggestion they've done that, least of all their own scripture. What is alleged here is that they pervert your words, which they heard from you. And in verbally, they go and change the meaning of what they've heard. The famous Muslim scholars Badawi and Razi said that the takhrif here, the corruption, is only of the interpretation of the Muslim scripture, and that is uh, the Quran. Also, that what they were really uh, perverting and changing was not even the book itself, but only the kalamullah, 
not the kitabullah, but the kalamullah, meaning the preaching of Muhammad of the Quran, what they heard, that word they go and they change and they make it say something different. Come to a fourth verse, and that is this one. There is among them a section who distort the book with their tongues. You would think it is a part of the book, but it is no part of the book. And they say that is from God, but it is not from God. It is they who tell a lie against God, and well do they know it. Oh, once again, it's Muhammad's contemporaries that are being referred to, because it says here clearly that among them are those who distort the book with their tongues. Now, this is an accusation, again, not of changing Scripture. You cannot possibly take it that far and stretch it to mean that they had changed their own Scriptures because they are accused of distorting the book with their tongues. Now, that's verbal. That means what I read in the book, I now twist and I give it another meaning. It's very similar to the last passage that we read. It's a verbal twist that's being referred to. And again, the kitabullah, the Word of God, whichever it is, is not, is not identified. It could be the Quran, maybe the own scripture, but you can't tell. The Quran, as usual, I hate to say it, but it is too vague on the subject. Just doesn't give you any detail, any definition to know which book is being referred to, what they actually did, what they changed, and so on. But let me just add this again, because it needs emphasis here. The Quran never accuses the Jews or the Christians of actually changing modifying, corrupting their scriptures, turning the word of God from one thing into another. In fact, to take a book given to Moses or a book given to Jesus and to turn it into 39 books of the Old Testament of Isaiah and David and others and the New Testament books of Matthew, Mark and the letters of Paul and the Acts of the Apostles and so on is not a change, not a corruption of a book that might have been given to Moses or Jesus. It's something totally different. You can only... If you must, as a Muslim, you can only accuse the Christians and Jews of totally replacing the scripture which came to those two. There's no way even here that you can find support as a Muslim for an argument that the Bible has been changed. That you Christians, even your own Bible, you've changed it. I've heard that so often. Nothing here that says that. If a Muslim is going to be true to his religion, the Bible must have replaced the scripture that was there originally. Because it's so totally different to the Quranic uh, concept of a Torah or an angel. And then the fifth one that I'm going to mention, the last one, is Surah 279. Then woe to those who write the book with their own hands, and they say, this is from God. To traffic with it for a miserable price. Woe to them for what their hands do write and for the gain they make thereby. Now for the first time, the Quran actually refers to writing a text. They write the kitab with their own hands. All right. Now we can say again, you're getting a little bit closer. For the first time, the Quran actually is referring to a written text, not to verbal twisting of words. But this is not again a charge of scriptural corruption. Once again, it doesn't say what book is referred to, just the kitab. It certainly doesn't identify it as either of the Jewish or Christian scriptures. It doesn't even mention Jews or Christians in this passage. All it says is that some people are writing a book with their own hands. In other words, there are people around Muhammad who are inscribing things. Other traditions have mentioned this. And then they're claiming that this is the revelation of God. Sometimes these texts refer to, to people who were trying to compete with Muhammad's Quran. They were writing out their own verses to try and match the Quranic 
challenge to say, if you think that this is not from God, we'll see if you can produce a surah like it. And there were some people around in Muhammad at his time who did just that. Maybe referring to that. It's too vague. You, you just can't categorize this. You just can't identify it. It doesn't say who they were. It doesn't say what they were writing. All it says is they write out their own little pieces of parchment or, or some kind of thing and they claim this is a scripture and then they go selling it off to people to make some money out of it. And woe to them, they're going to be punished for what they're doing. Oh, can't go further than that to try and identify what it's referring to. You would think that if the Christian Bible, and the Jewish scriptures were a total perversion of the original text given to, to Jesus and Moses, that the Quran, if it is God's word, would have stated that plainly, would have stated that in clear language, and would have identified what those changes were. But nothing like it. Just all these five texts that I've mentioned that are so vague, so devoid of detail, that you cannot really work out by reading the Quran what is being referred to. And... Again, you're looking at this not in a broad context, going back to the time of Moses or the time of Jesus. No, it's just referring to people around him. The Quran is constantly speaking of people that Muhammad comes into contact with and the way they twist his teaching and the way they verbally twist his words and insult him and make him think they're saying something else. And now a couple of them are even writing out a few passages to compete with this Quran and they're trying to sell it. It's another world. It's another realm entirely. You just cannot find any kind of a factual record anywhere in the Quran of any example of, of a corruption of actually some part of a scripture that's actually alleged to have been corrupted. Uh, Badawi, the great Muslim commentators, just in his uh, vocabulary here, he indicates as to what the problem is that Muslims have. He says, perhaps it means that the Jews wrote out of their commentaries their own punishment of adulterers. There's a story in the Hadith that when Muhammad had an adulterer, I think it was a Jewish adulterer before him, he was going to pass sentence on him, he asked the Jews, what is the biblical sentence on adultery? If you know Leviticus 20, it says the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. But the story is that the Jew covered that up with his arms so that you couldn't read it because it was known that the Quranic punishment in Surah 24 verse 2 is only a hundred lashes, not stoning at all. Yet again, and see Badawi's point. But this passage doesn't even come close to talking about adultery or anything else. The lovely word he uses, perhaps it means the Jews wrote out of their commentaries. <laughs> I was saying, well, perhaps you can guess as much as you like, but that's a problem with all these texts in the Quran that allege corruption, that they're only dealing with speculation. And Muslim commentators can only speculate as to what is being referred to. Let me conclude this point by saying that there is no text in the Quran anywhere which, number one, accuses the Jews or the Christians of actually corrupting their scriptures. There are no examples of any actual texts that are said to have been changed. There's not a suggestion anywhere of how these texts were changed, nor does it begin to tell you who did it, where it was done, or when. It just leaves everything a little bit up in the air. No evidence, just a general accusation against some of the people of Muhammad's day. Little bits of wrongdoing here and there, and that's all. Let's close this talk by looking at the genuineness of the Old Testament and the New Testament as we have it. Firstly, as I said to you, the Old Testament is a book that is a combination of 39 writings which the Jews have held sacred 
for now up to three to 4,000 years. They date firstly from the time of Moses, and they go right down to the time of Malachi, about 400 years before Jesus. We know today that the Old Testament in our hands is the same as it was at least 200 years before the time of Jesus, if for no other reason than that the Septuagint exists as a Greek translation of those scriptures from 200 years before Christ. Secondly, it's the only scripture that the Jews have ever had, preserved by them. I know from the Dead Sea Scrolls, as I mentioned earlier, that some of the texts there, some of the portions of the Old Testament, two almost complete manuscripts of Isaiah, once again, same as the text that we know to this day. We know from the New Testament that the Old Testament was exactly what it is because there's about 225 odd quotes from the Old Testament in the New, well-known, often told from which book it is coming. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? And he said, and Jesus went on to quote passages from Isaiah and so on. There just can be no question, no scholarly question whatsoever, that the Old Testament scriptures that we have today are the same that existed at the time of Muhammad, at the time of Jesus, and go back as far as, in fact, the books which make up the book itself when they were originally written. Uh, there's just no other chain of evidence of any kind of different scripture, with, as, the, as the Quran might suggest. Secondly, as far as the New Testament goes, well, this goes back to a much more recent time period, we have, as I mentioned earlier, 4,000-odd texts of New Testament writings that go back to as early as 400 AD. And that is more than 200 years before the time of Muhammad. And if you want to know what the real implication of that is, just go and do a study of any other books that have survived from that time. Even famous historical works, the writings of Julius Caesar, Cicero and others, then you'll find that we only have a handful, three, four, five, ten maybe, going back no earlier in any copy, any handwritten copy that survives, than say the 10th century after Jesus. The volume of New Testament manuscripts that has survived from the first four centuries is out of all proportion to any other texts that have survived from that time. And that's on a grand scale. And that was through a people who were persecuted, a Roman uh, uh, rule that wanted to destroy those scriptures as it tried all the time to destroy them, time and time again. A people who made up an early church that was basically made of very simple people who just didn't have the means to keep writing out uh, new manuscripts and texts. The attention paid to the preservation of the four Gospels, Book of Acts and others at that time was phenomenal. We have three Bibles, almost complete Bibles, Codex Sinaiticus, Alexandrinus and Vaticanus, held to this day, preserved two of them in the British Museum, one in the Vatican, which go back again to around the 4th century after Jesus. They contain the Old Testament, contain most of the New Testament. These books just witness again to the overall integrity of the Christian and Jewish scriptures. Not only the Greek Septuagint, we have Jerome's translation of the whole Bible into Latin, which shows that the Old and New Testaments by the 4th century were exactly what they are today in our hands. And as I said, the most important thing is that this evidence goes back to a time predating Islam by nearly three centuries. There can be no question that the Old and New Testaments were the scriptures the Christians and Jews had at his time. Now, Ali Tabari, who was an early Muslim writer and wrote a book called The Book of Religion and Empire, 
lived about 200 years after Muhammad. And his aim was to try and, as many Muslims have done since, try and find out what those scriptures were in the Christian and Jewish books that foretold the coming of Muhammad. Because he read that the Torah is in the hands of the Jews and that the gospel is in the hands of the Christians. His book covers Christ's birth, covers his life, many of the other writings he had. And he often spoke of the Torah and Angel, referred to them by those titles. But whenever he quoted from them, what did he do? Quoted directly from Old and New Testament books as we know them today. And he had no trouble accepting that the Torah was the Old Testament and that the Injil was the New. As I said earlier, it was only later scholars who began to realize that there was an irreconcilable difference between the books who then had to try and work out how to literally rescue the Quran from the anachronism of claiming to confirm texts which actually differed with it completely. Al-Ghazali in his time, one of the most well-known Muslim scholars of history, he virtually almost did a commentary on John's Gospel. He read the book so carefully and he only dealt with the interpretation of the book. He again was very generous towards Christian people. He said, oh, they've misinterpreted what Jesus meant when he called himself the Son of God. And he put a spin on it and tried to make Jesus say something less than he clearly was saying in the book. And he did a whole treatise on the Christian Trinity, as did a couple of other Muslim scholars at the time. And many of them did not come and say, your scriptures are corrupted. They just said, oh, you're just mixing up the interpretation of them. Even 600 years later, the well-known Muslim scholar Fakhruddin Razi accepted the Old and New Testaments as they stand, as authoritative scripture. Safdar Ali, a Mulana in India, became a Christian, said that it was by discovering the authenticity of the Old and New Testaments that he became a believer. And when he went back to Muslims, he used to base his arguments with them on the Quran. And I'm quoting from Weary's book, The Muslim Controversy, page 96. And this was the line of his argument that the Quran declares the Jewish and Christian scriptures to be the word of God and a guide to believers. Secondly, that Muslims are obliged to confess their faith in all the books of the former scriptures. Thirdly, these books were extant in Muhammad's time. Fourthly, the Quran nowhere says these scriptures were corruptly. And lastly, passages are quoted in proof from the Quran and the traditions. As I said, the problem today is that Muslims know that the Old and New Testament texts are contradictory to everything that is written in the Quran about Jesus, what happened to him, who he was, and so on. When you look, for example, at Isaiah 53, you can see that in the Old Testament the whole crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus foretold. You can see the divinity of Jesus mentioned in chapters like Psalm 89, Psalm 2, and others. You can see that the form of the Old and New Testament uh, are very different to the form of the Quran. They are scriptures written by men whom the Holy Spirit inspired to write scripture and that they were not revelations to Muhammad. This is how we see the scriptures and this is the problem the Muslim has with our scriptures. And because of that, they have fashioned this dogma that your Bible has been changed. Your scriptures are not what is referred to in the Quran. And they go back to say that. Torah was revealed to, to Moses and Injil to Jesus, but they can't produce a shred of evidence to back that up anywhere in history. I've always said to Muslims, it's very strange that Allah is supposed to have preserved the Quran to the last dot and letter and preserved it from all corruption, that every Muslim who has transcribed the Quran was somehow inspired 
to get it 100% right every time he did it. But that the same Allah cannot even preserve the slightest record of a Torah and an Injil before it. And somehow those books disappeared completely. The key thing, though, as I've shown you, is that intentionally or otherwise, the Quran confirms the Old and New Testament texts as authentic records and as the Word of God. But I think the author of the Quran was just ignorant of their true nature and supposed that these books were like the Quran, a book revealed to Moses, a book revealed to Jesus. But the Quran stands, and Christians should uh, use this fact. Quran stands as a testimony to the integrity Christian and Jewish scriptures as we know them, the ones we have in our possession, and those books, whether they like it or not, are the Old and New Testaments.